to uh, time to respond to some queries, questions, lines of thought. Oh, question around the relationship between citta, mano, and vijnana. So, in one instance, we have a, a saying that which is called mind, citta, and mentality, mano, and consciousness, vijnana, arises one thing and ceases as another by day and by night. So that which is called, it seems to be there, one thing conglomerated. Interesting also just to notice when we see the word ceasing, it doesn't actually mean that's the end of it. Because it's, it's quite, if it's arising and ceasing constantly, the ceasing is just a phase. It's not like extinction, it's just a phase where it drops. So it's a wave formation, you yeah. Um, so naturally these these three uh, functions, we could call them, are bound up together. Mm. This is dealing certainly with the conditioned mind, conditioned state. They're bound together. And roughly speaking, Vijnana, mm, is just basically conveys a simple piece of data and the jitta is the effective by that data so naturally in the conditioned state they're bound together manovinyana mind consciousness you know touches the jitta with some data so they're bound together therefore jitta is very much bound up with it Jitta is the feeling sense, also the ethical sense, it's also the volitional sense. It gives rise to having received that impression, it decides what to do with it, it runs out. So you could say in this sense, Jitta is like intelligence or sensitivity. So it's not a thing, it's a quality. Sensitivity in the mind consciousness that directs mind consciousness. But the uh, possibility is that that sensitive, that intelligence can be developed to the point when objects come into it and it doesn't necessarily react or respond. It senses, oh, I'll just let that one pass. Don't do anything about it. It's not the right time. Or, you know, it's a hurtful impression, but I won't jump out with aggression. So it can moderate it can also notice that impression can pass. So in some ways it's just separating itself from the sheer impact of Manovinyana as a receptive sense. It can also, with some intelligence, having experienced this, you know, that I don't have to respond to everything that flickers through my thinking mind, my, my perceiving mind, my organizing mind, my data producing mind, I could perhaps explore myself instead. What's it like to be intelligent? It's kind of spacious and radiant and you know all kinds of interesting energies. I'm not much interested in all that that Manovinyana stuff happening. <laughs> yeah. And I could actually linger it could linger in its own qualities of ethical clarity and uh, feel them. Because these are not just thoughts, these are jitta properties. So it starts to say, oh, sort of sep- just, you know, have a little bit of a separation from Manovinyana. And then it could also notice, well, whatever Manovinyana brings to it, passes through, comes and goes, I'm not really that interested in it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not even going to go out there to respond to it. It's like the noisy neighbour knocking on the door, knocking on the window, never seems to go away, I just switch off, you know. And it's it possible for it, it could do that, but of course this takes some, uh, it has to really um, be able to do that. And this is training. Um, 
Jitta doesn't appear in the chain of dependent co-arising. Well, no, it doesn't. But the chain of dependent co-arising appears in Jitta. Jitta is the knowing of this chain of dependent arising. And also the knowing of the dependent ceasing. Jitta, when it's ignorant, is just mesmerized by this process and very much experiencing it. And when it's neurodered, when that when it's wise, it's not involved with the dependent origination. The dependent origination experience pass, passes away. It's not in there. So dependent origination occurs within jitta. That's why jitta's not in it. It's within jitta. Or it's yeah. You know, that's where the ignorance is, is in jitta. When the ignorance isn't in jitta, jitta's not in Involved with all that. Now we look at it very pragmatically, you know. What is it that can know a thought is a thought? What is it can know a, 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 a kind thought is a kind thought? A disturbing thought is a disturbing thought? What is it that can know, okay, that's a disturbing thought, just let that one pass? How is that possible? How is it possible that we can actually witness the ending of a thought? A thought bubbling up and then passing away. How is that possible? Maybe for some people the thinking is so incessant there's barely any pause. But notice still one thought leads to another. How come one thought is replaced by another. So there's something that's not a thought, right? Yeah. The gap between one thought and another. How can we know that? How can that be experienced? It can be experienced. It can be experienced when you don't know somebody's name. You get that uh, 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 moment. So manovinyana, the data, can be there. Data can respond. Data cannot be there, and is still knowing. This is the distinction between citta and manovinyana. Now it's also to remember that manovinyana is producing all this data because the confused citta is searching for it, saying, "You know, give me some more stuff so I know where I am, what to do. Uh, give me some." Nice thoughts, some interesting ideas, so it energizes it to do that. But if it's sensed, I'm not interested in all that, it's not going to get me anywhere that useful, or those aren't, it begins to withdraw from that. Either withdraw from particular topics that it doesn't want to pursue anymore, not going anywhere useful, uh, and then maybe even withdraw more fully. And this withdrawing is called nibida, not interested in all that, yeah. you know, the origin, origination at Samudaya of name and form, there is the origination of citta, okay, Samudaya, translated as origination, um, I would question that translation, I would say more like the welling up, and what is name and form, name, form, Form is any object that consciousness presents. Most often it's, um, you know, prior to a piece of sense data. And notice these, name and form is sometimes written as one word because the form always comes with some nama wrapped around it. A nama means perception, it has a meaning, it's... If it's sensed as something, it's interpreted as a feeling with it, you know, uh, it comes with that. It makes contact, otherwise how would it be known? There's contact impression. Along with that process of contact impression, there arises some kind of response. Attention seizes it. What's that? Intention starts acting on it. So this is this is called name, <laughs> not a very helpful word really, but it's the apprehension 
of a particular piece of sense data. Right? So, but it all comes in one packet. Mm. So, you know, you may see something and in the act of seeing it, it is attention grasps it. Otherwise, you know, you, there's the whole field of vision and something, you know, attention, attention occurs, it selects a particular object within that field. Why? Because there's some kind of interest in that. There's some volitional quality there, chetana. Contact, it touches, ah, feeling arises, ah, right? And then maybe further action occurs. This is all bound up. So the arising of all this is because jitta is rising up, is aroused to to turn towards the sense doors. With the arising of jitta is the arising, welling up of name and form. So they're co-dependent. Name and form rises up because jitta rises up. Jitta rises up because, you know, it's in the field of name and form. It's in that particular sense domain. That's where it's inhabiting. Therefore, name and form rises up. If we're in another state of consciousness, different kinds of name and form. So some talk about sleep consciousness. Um, You know, then there's jhanic consciousness. So that particular refined level, particular day to turn up. You know, if you're a thief and you look at a house, particular data turn up, different from what an architect would see. Thief sees a house, he sees locks, doors, windows. Architect sees design. A realtor, a real estate agent would probably see, oh, that's worth a few million. A person buying a house would think, oh, it's a nice garden, pretty view. They wouldn't see the locks on the doors. So, which is the real house? Jitta, the nature of jitta, whether the ethical quality of jitta, that determines what particular things we see. So with the rising up of jitta, there's the particular rising up of name and form. That makes sense? Our, Our mind sees qualities that it's it it's has meaning for it. So all this co-arising, welling up, with ceasing of name and form, when that whole thing declines or goes down, which um, clearly uh, takes practice, there is the atangamo of jitta. So a different word used. Ceasing niroda, the ceasing of name and form, but not the ceasing of jitta. Mm. It would be very easy to say with the samudayo, the origination of name and form, there's the origination of jitta. So with the ceasing of name and form, there should be the ceasing of jitta. But it doesn't say that. It says something similar to it, but atangamo means something like the passing away. It's a word that's used associated with sunset. When the sun sets, right? Has it ended? Has it passed or has it just moved out? It's just moved out of range. You know, if, if you're People at that time would it would probably see the sun goes down. It means the sun moves out of range of the earth, out of range of the horizon. So in this sense, it's mean the chitta has just moved out of name and form. It's moved out of that domain. So no, I'm not interested. Don't want to keep that one going. Don't shine the light on that. Shine the light somewhere else. Right? Or keep it, you know, shine your own, shine light upon yourself. Jitta returns to itself. Mm. Why does it do that? Well, if we, again, using this image of the sun, you'll notice there's a rather profound 
sutta where the Buddha says, you know, says take this image, you know, when if you've got sun is shining on the wall. What would happen if you took the wall away? You've got a building. What would happen if you took the wall away? It's over the shine on the earth. What would happen if you took the earth away? When those days they believed underneath the earth was the great ocean. Take the earth away, there's the great ocean. So the sun shine lands on the earth. Take the earth away, the sun lands on the water. What if you take the water away? The sun doesn't land anywhere. So just this. Now... So then you have the jitta as the sun that doesn't land on anything. Okay. And you say, why is that? And if you review the sutta, it says because of passion. When there's no passion for things, when there's no interest, when there's no inclination you know, for any kind of state of consciousness or name or form, sense object, thought, it's not interested. It doesn't turn its light on it. Therefore the whole thing is no longer fed. Now we might assume that thoughts are there whether I want them to be or not. Uh, not, not so. Uh, remember these, this, this is not, often the thinking process is sometimes not always under our control. It's almost instinctive, it's locked in. So to acquire a sense of dispassion when so much of our life is about constructing reality with thoughts, with mind states, with definitions, it's quite a profound turnaround. And if you, if you do begin to do that, still you get residual thoughts come up, memories, as you probably know in meditation, memories come up, daydreams, fantasies, just silly little thoughts <laughs> drift away because the system is still kind of half cranking it out. <laughs> And in fact, one has to generally turn jitta deliberately somewhere else and even use the thought, grab the thought and, and get it to do this pitaka vichara, point it. So the thought isn't just running anywhere. And if you point it to the right place, you, know, you can't immediately break that, that feedback loop. So you deviate it. So the jitta takes interest in in bodily sensation or bodily energy. Oh, I mean, the thought isn't, doesn't do you much good there. You don't need it. You only need enough to stay focused. And gradually, as the jitta becomes more uh, suffused and, and energized and um, uh, um, pleased with that, the thinking begins to drop away because the jitta is feeding on something else. This is process of, of samadhi. Uh, right. Now, still, that's still the jitta is still feeding on something, but it's a different kind of food. And you know, you can, and once it gets that sense, now it could, of course, just stay try to stay feeding on that all the time. But of course, it can't because those phenomena also fade and change. But it does get the understanding that you could turn. Yeah. And therefore you're not, not so interested in any phenomena and therefore the jitta begins to withdraw to the where phenomena arise from arise from the, its own activation arise from its own contact arise from its stirring arise from its passion so the jitta begins to train itself to don't get so activated yeah. Um, someone another question similar to that someone's asking about the nature of contact and some things to learn in that contact someone is saying they feel a little bit confused contact conditions feeling so they're looking at the cycle of dependent origination. If you're familiar with that. And that says part of it is there's this uh, um, <clears throat> piece of it says you know, with the sense bases, sense doors open up as contact. 
contact conditions feeling feeling conditions craving yeah Um, this person says well feeling conditions perception perception conditions sankara Uh, yeah (laughs) it doesn't exactly condition feeling the whole process of feeling perception and, and, and sankara occurs like this you know you have the the manas faculty the mind faculty we call it mind let jitta just sit untranslated maybe heart awareness just so I'm not confusing you <laughs> so maybe I still am <laughs> but the manas is an attention function like a flashlight and that's moving very rapidly around all the sense doors because jitta is telling it to in some ways giving you that that impulse what's interesting what's dangerous what's wonderful what's threatening out there so manas then turns its spotlight on that particular object so there what about that touches jitta with that so there's your first contact this is called Patika Pasa. Pasa means contact. Patika means it's a disturbance. The jitter is knocked, scratched, touched. It's it's hey, what's that? And then Manas says, Well look, it shapes it up a bit. Jitter says, Yeah, I'm interested, I felt something with that. Give me some more reading on that. Manas says, Well, it's a nice looking piece of vegetation or nice shiny object oh it means it's pleasant oh wonderful so <laughs> therefore the first kind of contact is just the basically very almost a just a, a, a sort of touch which is felt pleasant or painful and then with that further exploration for frames up the object in terms of perception this framing up in terms of perception is called designation contact. Adivajana pasa. Pasa contact, impression, designation. So having been touched and turned, then Manas goes, wait a minute, it reminds me of, could be that. Well, no, it's this. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you want, that's really good. <laughs> you know, you get some mysterious gadget or device and what's that i don't know I mean, oh it's nice and shiny it's got a button on it oh it looks good right that perception it's a wonderful thing so that's the second kind of contact and this is how manas and jitta kind of work together so the feeling first feeling is just a feeling that's perhaps mildly you know agreeable or disagreeable so the jitta oops runs away or lingers or it's kind of relatively neutral it's just mm, that's that second kind of feeling arises from the meaning of the object that's touched the jit that that's been brought to the jitter's attention and and then you get the more evolved feeling and this feeling is the strongest um, base of feeling is feeling derived from perception okay for the jitta the only other feeling you really get directly is bodily feeling just that mostly most feeling is mind conditioned and particularly you know when we're living relatively physically painless relatively so most of the feeling arises from oh, reading this, thinking that, noticing this, and what's he doing? And, oh my goodness, if we go on like this, it's going to be this way. And, oh, that sounds like a nice idea. And this is going on pretty much all the time, creating feeling. So much so that the jitta is um, really shaped and gripped by that experience. To the point when it, you know, becomes extremely powerful uh, for good and for bad yeah
You know, you get a perception of something that really, really annoys you, frightens you, and the chitter can be extremely brutal, violent, hard, insensitive. You can get saturated with perceptions and meanings, dogma, Nazism, you know, dogmatic stuff just floods the chitta and it picks it up and it becomes so fashioned by it, it loses some of its sensitivity. It's mesmerized by dogma, mesmerized by opinions, mesmerized by prejudice to the point where we can do horrible things. It loses its sensitivity. We see animals, living creatures as just lumps of meat that we can hack around and do anything we like with. We say we have the right to do so. Who gave us that right? <laughs> we did. <laughs> you know, we call it God, of course, but <laughs> I'm going to try and shift the blame to someone else. So Jitakan seemed to be the most open and spacious and ephemeral thing. It can be the most lively, delicate, sensitive thing. It can also be the most brutal, passionate, destructive thing. Nothing does you so much harm as a ill-trained jitter. Nothing does you so much good as a well-trained jitter. It can go one way or the other. And it nestles in this cradle of manovinyana. So while it's in there, then we train it to steer Manovinyana in accordance with its ethical sensitivity. And we turn it towards objects that will encourage that quality of sensitivity and compassion and calm. And as it does so, it begins to come out, realize its own sensitivity and awareness. And it says, maybe I'm not really that interested in that much thoughts and ideas and stuff like that, opinions and views, sense data and pleasure, pain, it doesn't go anywhere and uh, sits in itself. But, But you look at the most fundamental property is the knowing. And I don't know what you call it. What is it that knows a thought can cease? Not another thought, is it? Not a thought that knows that thought ceases. That's jitta. How can one prepare for death? I mentioned the other day that when dying, jitta gets extremely disoriented and agitated by the fading of sense faculties. Mm. Well, the jitta that's bonded to the sense faculties, of course, does get extremely disturbed by their discomfort and their confusion and their loss. So the fundamental thing is to learn to disengage from the sense faculties. Now, when I say disengage, it doesn't mean going blind or deaf or dumb. It means disengage one's passion. There's a sense of coolness. What I see is just what I see. It doesn't have to go into my heart and stir me up. What I hear is just what I hear. It doesn't have to go into my heart and get me stirred up. We see it, there's a, there's a distinguishing between what's sensed and what's apprehended. So this is a lifetime you've trained for death by being alive. And if you, if you keep the sense of death in mind, because it can happen any day, every day, I hear a friend, associate, or a relative, or a supporter who's passing away. One yesterday, a monk died yesterday. Day before that, one of chief supporters, she passed away. So, you know, and they're all going. Uh, they're all going. And certainly in this life, you get that a lot because you're linked up to thousands of people and they're all dying. <laughs> and so, you know, you get the news again. Uh, people come, could you do some chanting? Because my cousin's died. I didn't know the person, but you get the message every day. You're getting that same message. When's your time coming? When's your time coming? Yeah, you can be sure. One thing you can bet upon, absolutely, it will be there. So you get that, and it's a good reflection. 
because you think, okay, what's what's useful? What's purposeful? Yeah. Nothing nothing goes outside of that death trap except, except jitta. Yeah. And uh, this is why the Buddha went forth. Uh, it wasn't he wasn't kind of like interested in philosophy or something. He said he realized he looked at his son, his son was gonna die, his wife is gonna die. Yeah. What kind of man am I? I can't even look after my wife and kids. So um better go and find a and I'm gonna die, I better find a way out of this. So he did, and then he came back and told him about it. People thought he was a bit of a runaway, but he did as soon as he realized that he went back home to tell his wife and kids and his mum and dad about it all. <laughs> Very decent of him. It's a long walk, you know. <laughs> so because the these we we kind of forget it. We half know it. We think, oh it'll happen sometime in the future, you know, well wouldn't be too sure. So you bear this in mind that it can happen any day and it definitely will happen. And you take that thought to bed with you at night. Okay, if I die tonight, what's been useful? What do I want to let go of now? What do I want to say, forget it. No grudges, no no real will, just forget it. I'm not taking that with me. What do I do about all these great plans and dreams I have? Just say, well, maybe so, <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. What about the future? Well, maybe there won't be one. Don't put too much into it. So you're learning a kind of a sense of just keeping your balance, dispassion. Uh, and then when you, you, so you're training yourself in meditation, you're training yourself to sense restraint, renunciation. Don't, don't put too much of your expectations of happiness on the sense basis. Don't, don't invest too much in them. Just, just, you know, don't invest too much there. Invest your search for happiness in terms of your heart, you know, which you're going to take with you. Um, blamelessness. And uh, freedom from regret, loving kindness, put your put your energy there. So this is the way and the reason why. You know, so you pragmatic. Get ready for departure. You know, materialist culture says, oh, well, you know, materialist culture, death is a tragic, terrible thing. Oh no. Well, it's not. Yeah, it certainly it can be a sense of loss. Because the materialist culture doesn't even recognize as a possibility for going beyond. Yeah. So we just kind of get what we can and then, oh, somebody's dead, oh goodness, weep, weep, weep. <laughs> shouldn't have happened. Why should it? Because it shouldn't have happened. It happens. <laughs> so do we prepare for it? Do we see it as a constant failure of our life? Or do we say, this is a transit we've got to go through? It's a good thing to, to I mean, Imagine if we didn't die, the place would get pretty cluttered, wouldn't it? <laughs> There's a transit you've got to go for. You train yourself to go through that door. Live light, live lean. Get the jitter steady. And then it's going to, you know, that's going to go where it goes when this thought falls away. So it's no point, you know, on your deathbed deciding you're going to start training. It's a bit late then. <laughs> You know, you know, you, oops, <laughs> you should get around and do it now because when your sense faculties are going, you're uncomfortable and in pain, it's not the, it's not the great place to start. <laughs> you know, so and then somebody's asking about dealing with pain. Well, you know, we will meet. Certainly we now have medications that can take a lot of it away and thank you very much. Great. You know, do not want to be in howling misery. Thank you. If I can get some something to take the pain away, i well, yeah, I'll have it. But it will still come. And uh, much of it is just not deadly. It's just irritating, annoying pains in the body. So with this level of pain, we practice um, bring your attention to it, spread your awareness over it. 
see it as a phenomenon in nature. Your body's not yours. It's just something that happens to bodies. See it with some dispassion. Start to release the psychological tension around it. And then you can let go of the psychological pain. And also you can moderate your attention. Generally, when you're in pain, your attention goes right to that painful place. But if you learn to train your attention, you can say, well, give your attention to an unpainful place or to the whole body. So the whole body, it's actually only my tooth that's in pain. The rest of it's fine. So I get some perspective on it. It no longer has the same psychological grip. And it's something we can practice with. And you get also things like disease when you're feeling run down and sick and confused. And it's bringing your awareness onto that with no resistance. It's a sort of comforting touch that uh, you can be the one who touches the pain rather than the one who is touched by the pain. Be the one who touches the pain rather than the one who's stabbed by it. Yeah. So that means a conscious movement of awareness towards the pain rather than shrinking away. Be, if you shrink away, it will stab you. If you move towards it, you'll begin to calm. Like dealing with a tiger. Never run away from a tiger because it'll run after you. Stand still. Practice metta. Tiger calms down. Same with pain. Takes a while, of course. So we're on the Mano Chitta track. Somebody's asking about the, um, the relative skills and developments of Mano, saying, well, you know, you need to have a pretty good skill set to figure out dealing with circumstances and for benefit. You know, dealing with um, persons interested in translocal, transcultural, transformational activist, pro-commons, pro-solidarity economy, the whole thing, you know, collaborations, conjunctions, networks, trying to figure out helpful ways to, to live and to encourage other people. So it definitely needs, you need to have some good organizational thinking. So how does this mix in with uh, jitta? Now, for example, this retreat, there seems to be pretty much a need to have some mano attention know-how in order to just even do all the organizing and technology behind this retreat. So how can the jitta be unrestricted? Yeah. How does this fit? How can you have an unrestricted jitta when you're doing all this stuff? Uh, I think you take it lightly. Uh, it's really the passion and the intensities that you work with. So, you know, the skill is realizing that the main thing we can do is cultivate the detachment, dispassion. Yeah. So we're not getting emotionally intense about it all. And then the jitta, that sensitivity is poised, balanced, ready. Then you see what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. And then it operates the thinking mind in accordance. Mm. But if everything collapses, Jitta says, oh well, seems that equanimity is needed here. <laughs> mm. Same with, um, somebody's asking about dealing with people and how you help other people. Uh, when is it possible and when it's not possible. Mm. How do you know? Um... As the Buddha himself would um, sometimes see that this person not open, 
So it's you know you kind of can offer and present your goodwill and your attention, and sometimes situations don't allow it to manifest. And but you still try, like you knock on the door three times, nobody opens it. Okay, it's like that. And so the same thing for the Buddha. Says some people he could help them, some he couldn't. Just wasn't open to it. Uh, That doesn't mean you don't try. Try because that natural sympathy, empathy for beings. Chitra is naturally uh, inclines, naturally opens, but sometimes the door is closed uh, and you never really know until you try. And patience is helpful, equanimity is helpful, Um, it's helpful. Mm. Situations tend to choose for themselves. Someone's questioning, asking when in meditation, they have a strong sensation of bubbly energy flowing all through the body from the feet to the top of the head. It feels like being a glass of sparkling water. I find it exhilarating and very pleasurable. But recently I've been reading about Qigong. I've heard it may not be so good as my energy is pouring out. Should I try to ground in the lower body to pull it back down? Yes, simply speaking. Uh, also to um, you know so particularly with Qigong it's really important to learn how to sweep down to the ground down your back essentially and bring your awareness down your back uh, arising this bubbly stuff generally occurs up through the front on top of the head uh, and so you come down your back into the ground and recognizes the energy itself and there's the enjoying of it. So as long as you enjoy it, then you probably won't discharge it because the, the enjoyment stimulates it. As long as you find it, you know, enjoyable to something you will keep doing it. <laughs> if you get a bit tired of it, like not comfortable with it, this doesn't feel so grounded, then your inclination will be to ground. The path you describe in Theravada in general is a monastic tradition. The stability of the jitta based upon lack of external impingement is very difficult in our daily lives when not living in a monastery. What about the path of dealing with our difficult situations and the strength of non-dual equanimity? Does this not also lead to stabilisation of the jitta? Seems like, um, yeah. But bear in mind that, you know, monastic tradition, this this thing arose from people living out in the open. They weren't living in monasteries. Um, you know, in the time of the Buddha, there was maybe two monasteries at Sawati. One was the um, Pubarama and one was the um, Anantapindika's Park, Jitarama. So for most of the time they weren't in monasteries, they were out, out there. And I mean it's astonishing because <laughs> lack of sense, lack of external impingement, you must be joking. I mean if you're out in an Indian forest, lack of external impingement is not possible. It's chaos. <laughs> how they survive, how they did it I don't know, how the Buddha managed to meditate at all. I mean I've been on walkabout in India and it's <laughs> you know there's mosquitoes there's monkeys there's things howling and cackling there's heat there's dirt there's hunger you know, and they dealt with it you know, and it was pretty raw somehow you know, they dealt with it um, and the Buddha seemed to get in line with it which is astonishing I mean just walking around India I did for six months just the physicality of sleeping on the dirt which he did most of his life no sleeping bag no sleeping mat you know no thermo rest <laughs> just the dirt 
and then get up, fold his legs in full lotus, maybe stick a bit of grass under his backside, sit there and go into jhana with the heat and the flies. I mean, you just got to hand it off, take your hat off to this kind of person who could do that and come out with these amazing teachings. Uh, and most of them, that's that's where they lived. And often in the sutras you see, oh, so-and-so is sick, you know, he's miserable. He's, and they, the Buddha says, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm miserable. My feel like knives, sharp knives are cutting up my belly. I feel like leather bands are squeezing my brains out. I'm in agony, Lord. And the Buddha says, oh, bear up. <laughs> Have I not told you that consciousness is impermanent? <laughs> Somehow they get it, you know. So there was plenty of external impingement. And uh, even, even monasteries, you know, they are not. They're not it's not as a lack of external impingement. Uh, you know, so forest monasteries can be pretty rough too. Uh, entire forest monastery, the sound is a cacophony of sound. You know, the uh, monkeys howling, even the cicadas screeching, and the, and the jungle chickens cackling. And there's often music coming from a nearby village. It's, a, it's really a lot of sound impingement. And then there's nothing comfortable to sit on. You sit on the dirt, you sit on a stone floor. So it's, and then there's no heating, you know. So in the wintertime, you, you just have a thin robe to wrap around you. You, get, you know, wind is cutting through your bones. Um, so that, that's the kind of place this stuff was coming from. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, in, say in Western monasteries, which is not so rugged, there's a lot of other impingement, you know. Just de- dealing with, we have to keep the thing going. So it's not just the impingement, it's busyness. You know, busyness. Figuring things out. You know, running retreats. Dealing with what I've dealt with on this thing. You know, the technology, the planning, the figuring, the da 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 Having to learn how to download stuff. And there's plenty of stuff to get on with. Uh, and so, you know, I don't really follow the lack of impingement and the lack of duties. It's, it's enough. Um, but as you point out, um, the really significant thing is dealing with your psychological stuff, your karma. You know, moods and impulses, your regrets and psychologies. This is the stuff that really gets you. In the end, the rest of it, you can move through. But really what grips you is, is, the, is the mental stuff, the attitude and the sadness and the feeling of impotence and the, you know, what can I do with my life and all that and I'm not getting anywhere. And that's also the case in monastic life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and other things, you know, just from time to time you hear some monks killed himself, couldn't stand it anymore. Um, you know, just the psychological pressure. And not many people even stay because it's just too tough. Too, too much psychological pressure. Um, so, you know, this is the stuff that really gets you when a lay person or a monk. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's the that's the thing we practice with um, relationship to to phenomena external, but particularly the phenomena, the the jitters, where it touches the jitter, where it touches the jitter, and sometimes physical stuff where it touches the jitter, it's uncomfortable. But it doesn't get into you like the psychological stuff. You know, I remember my first period of time living in a monastery. I just had to sleep on the floor of a little hut. I lay down to go to rest. The cockroaches would come up and chew my toes. And after a while, I liked it because at least it was some company. <laughs> it was so lonely and bored in this place. You kind of look forward to the cockroaches because at least they show <laughs> they appreciated you. <laughs> so they, I don't mind giving them a bit of dead skin after all. I don't need it. <laughs> so the cockroaches were, 
<laughs> problem so much as the loneliness and isolation which gets on you, gets at you, got at me anyway. <laughs> so that's what we have to do with what really touches the chitta. And after a while, the physical circumstances, you kind of get used to it. And uh, whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable, it doesn't really figure, you know. You, you come to a place like Chitta Viveka, it's it's beautiful place. You know, beautiful place, so beautiful. And you you couldn't believe you could suffer here, but <laughs> you can. After a while, it's just it's just background wallpaper. <laughs> you know, you can run out your suffering on that, your stress on that, because it's the karma. You know, it's your old karmic patterns you have to meet. Whatever you're in, lay person, married, unmarried, old, young, monk, nun, doesn't matter. And then we okay meet it. And this is this is what we're here for. So that sense of relationship um, to to what arises, fair or foul, near or far, where it touches you, that's your practice. And uh, once one knows that, even if it's still uncomfortable, there's a certain stability because you know what you're doing. You know you're supposed to be meeting stuff. You don't like it, but you know that's what it's about. You know that's your path. It's not about your occupation, your age, your gender. It's not about that. There may be other things you want to do about that, but the thing you're doing with this is just meeting the feeling of impotence, frustration. Why don't I get a good deal? What's wrong with me? You're meeting all that. The powerlessness somebody mentions and you touch that, we all can feel impotent and failures and not good enough. How do you deal with that? You, you meet it and the jitta has to bring forth, has to learn. So don't just get involved with it and fondle it and create more around it. Cultivate, relate to that with dispassion and kindness and firmness. We've got to free ourselves from these habits rather than, um, you know, just proliferate around it. So it's it's that kind of very direct path. I'll pause here for today and I uh, hope some of this has been useful. Um, and thank you very much for your questions. <laughs>